This episode of Just the Right Book is brought to you by BetterHelp. Get on your way to being your best self. Give online therapy a try at betterhelp.com slash right book. We are living in stressful times, and the hustle and bustle of the holidays can make it even more stressful. If you're considering starting therapy, try BetterHelp. It's entirely online and designed to be flexible and convenient. You just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with the best-for-you licensed therapist. Now is the time to give yourself what you need with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash WriteBook today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash WriteBook. This is Roxanne Cody. Thanks for listening. And now back to Just the Right Book. This is Just the Right Book, and I'm Roxanne Cody of R.J. Julia Booksellers. Each week, I hope to bring to you the stories behind the books, talking with some of the very best contemporary nonfiction authors, books that are timeless and charming, provocative and of the moment, the conversations you want to hear about the books you need to read. I am Roxanne Cody, and this is our shorts edition of Just the Right Book. And we're mixing it up this week and welcoming Beth Ann Patrick. Beth Ann is the book maven on Twitter, you know, now called X, a book critic writing for the LA Times, Washington Post, NPR, and LitHub, the author of Life B, Overcoming Double Depression, and now in season two of the award-winning podcast, Missing Pages. Beth Ann basically is what I would call a book lover extraordinaire. So Beth Ann, welcome to Just the Right Book. Thank you, Roxanne. I'm just delighted to be here from one book lover to another extraordinaire (laughs) uh, as well. (laughs) So Beth Ann, your podcast, Missing Pages, is not only fun for all of us in the industry, But it's also a great fly-on-the-wall view for any reader curious about the world of writing or publishing and, you know, how it all works. I find people are always fascinated, not only in general, but also because, as I've learned in almost 35 years as a bookseller, everybody thinks they ought to write a book. And so... I'm sure you run into that as much, if not more, than me. So this is season two of Missing Pages. And before we talk about some of the episodes, why don't you share with us what your hope was when you started creating Missing Pages? Originally, for season one, my hope was to take some stories that were interesting and maybe a little gossipy. Mm. And go a bit deeper on them. You know, really think about why people might have done some of the things they did. You know, why would Dan Mallory lie to people about certain, you know, degrees that he didn't have, for example? And why would Anna March want to scam people in the literary community where money is not thick on the ground? Why would a young woman like Kavya Visvanathan wind up accused of plagiarism? How did that happen? Mm -hmm. And so one of the things we started doing was a lot of interviews, and it takes a lot of time to Mm. track down all of these perspectives. 
And I just want to say quickly, I mean, I'm sure you'll ask me some other questions, Roxanne, about season two, is that we are talking about different kinds of things in this season, but we're also continuing the interview process. We're continuing to look into as many different angles on each story as we possibly can. And sometimes we can't get all of the interviews we want, but I have been pleasantly surprised by how successful the producers I've worked with on the show have been. I think I've recorded so far, I don't know, 400, 500, I don't know. It's like hundreds of episodes. And I am always pleasantly, pleasantly isn't even the right word, but it's always heartening to find out how game everybody is. You know, we've had, you know, big, huge name authors who are game to come on and publicists who were helpful. So, you know, I have always found that to be true in this industry, having come from the world of tax law, which operates on a different, you know, decibel level. This is a very collegial industry, whether you're talking about booksellers or publishers or authors. So I'm glad you found that. But let's go to season two, because you did three episodes on a topic that I imagine is near and dear to your heart. It certainly is to mine. And that is banning books. Yes. So let's start with a pretty simple way of thinking about this. Banning books is not new, but how much worse is it now? Here's what I think is worse. Banning books, as you said, is not new. It's something that's gone on, I would say, probably throughout American history. But of course, as we talk about, it really got entrenched with the Comstock laws in the 19th century and uh, late 19th century because uh, Comstock, who was the postmaster general, uh, didn't want children exposed to anything indecent. Mm. And so, what better way when you're living in a society that is completely print-based, right? There's no internet, there's no anything. It's the late 19th century. You control what gets into the hands of people by controlling the mail. So that's what he was able to do, you know, and that is, of course, also the beginning of getting things in plain, unmarked packages, you know, things. <laughs> that, <laughs> brown envelope. <laughs> right. Uh, but what is changed now as, you know, we're in a completely different century, we finished the 20th century, we're into another one, is that with banning, some of the people involved really want to be able to stamp out everything with certain groups. And of course, one of the things we can say for sure is that some of these people want to censor anything that has to do with LGBTQIA identity. Regardless, you know, we have an example of a children's book in one of the episodes. I don't want to spoil too much, but it's very simple and very lovely. And there's nothing wrong with it, but what they're showing us in the books that they are choosing to challenge is that what they really want to challenge is an entire group of people, people who are citizens with the same rights, people who pay taxes, people who, you know, 
have no reason to have a simple children's picture book. It, it is not in any way indecent or pornographic or anything like that. So that is something that really concerned us. And I, I was glad that we spoke to a law professor, Len Niehoff, who really understands book banning challenges and mm-hmm. was able to give us a, a great perspective on that. This is not, I was going to say, this is not my wisdom that I'm passing along. This is the wisdom, yeah. again, that we learn from the, the people we speak to in interview. So that is something that's really changed. And Bethann, one of the more shocking bills that have passed is a bill down in Texas, right, which I'm sure uh, you're familiar with. And the thing that is sort of unfathomable to me about that is the basic law is that they want to ban any sexually explicit books from school, libraries, and classrooms. And the mechanism that they've put in place is that bookstores as one group, are responsible to rate every book. And and therefore, bookstores are responsible and they could they would be charged with like a felony if they ended up, and it's a it's a vague definition of sexually explicit. And and then I read that they're going to require these bookstores to go back and look up any goddamn book that they sold to a school and disclose if their ratings. I mean, I'm not sure I've got this exactly right, but it's egregious. Did this come up in your conversations? And because you did three episodes on banned we did. books. And here's the thing, a couple of things here. I am not sure if we did because I know there was at least one bill in Texas that did not go through. And that might have been one before the one that you're Mm -hmm. talking about. And so we might have because, you know, we've been in production for, you know, almost a year on on this. Uh, you know, not been able to get that in in a timely manner. But what I will say about that is, talk about shades of the Patriot Act, Roxanne. You know, I mean, to have, you know, a bookstore have to be accountable for books sold in the past. And not only that, you know, booksellers are famously, you know, you among them, very much against any kind of censorship. You want people to have whatever it is they want to read. So I think this is absolutely a terrible thing. And we definitely will be looking into it more and talking about it for, you know, our our next season, I hope. Mm -hmm. I hope. Um, And no promises there. But I think it's getting scarier because they want to track things. And we all know that a society that wants to track books and other kinds of printed material is a society that is coming closer to other kinds of civil liberties Mm -hmm. controls. This episode of Just the Right Book is brought to you by BetterHelp. Get on your way to being your best self. 
Give online therapy a try at betterhelp.com slash write book. We are living in stressful times and the hustle and bustle of the holidays can make it even more stressful. If you're considering starting therapy, try BetterHelp. It's entirely online and designed to be flexible and convenient. You just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with the best-for-you licensed therapist. Now is the time to give yourself what you need with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash WriteBook today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash WriteBook. This is Roxanne Cody. Thanks for listening. And now back to Just the Right Book. I had just recently interviewed Heather Cox Richardson. Wonderful. For her book, Democracy Awakening. And, you know, one of the things you, of course, know that is a linchpin of a democratic society is a free press and access to all these materials. And what you what you are reminded of that authoritarian regimes start by stopping something that seems benign or you don't really care. And it's hard for people to imagine what that morphs into. It's interesting to me because, for example, in one of the episodes on book banning, we do talk to a wife and mother in a school district about why she wanted to have more controls over what her children Mm. were reading. Now, let me tell you, what this woman has to say sounds eminently reasonable. It sounds so good. You know, you think, oh, yeah, sure. I, you know, don't want to ban these books, but I want to make sure that my children get the right thing at the right age. Here's something booksellers and librarians and other book lovers extraordinaire will say. Children almost never get books that are inappropriate for them. And that's Mm -hmm. because not just because we have librarians and parents and teachers and booksellers. It's also because children are amazing. They don't want a book that confuses them. Mm -hmm. They don't want a book that is sort of above their pay grade, if you will. They're really good at figuring out this is not for me. So I have a hard time. I, I certainly, you know, don't think any parent wants to fill their house with erotica or porn and let the kids Mm -hmm. pull out whatever. But parents and librarians are really good at making sure that kids get the kinds of books that are interesting to them. So Mm -hmm. I was a little bit, I was a little bit skeptical about that. I thought, gosh, the only thing I can remember I ever wanted to read that was inappropriate, Roxanne, was The Exorcist. Um, Mm. And was it inappropriate? I was probably 11 or 12 years old. And my mother was really unnerved by it for a lot of reasons. And so she kept trying to hide it. And I would always find it in the house. And of course I read it and I'm fine, (laughs) you know, because at 11 to 12, 13, kids often want to read horror. They're often ready, you know, for Stephen King and Dean Koontz and everyone else. 
So I don't know. I just, I, I think it's more important. And this is something I've been thinking about a lot lately. You know, we just saw some statistics from Publishers Weekly in an article about fewer Americans reading, fewer adults reading. Mm -hmm. And I thought, here's what I know. Children don't read because there are books in the house. They read because they see their parents reading. Right. You know, they want they want to know that that's an activity that is worthwhile. Yes, books in the house are important, but it's really important to mirror that, you know, that let your children see you reading, you know, a newspaper, a journal, a book. And guess what? This is about, I mean, I am all for ebooks, Roxanne, in a lot of ways, but I also think print is important. I'm sure you agree with me on that. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Because your kids can't see what you're reading when you're on your iPad or your phone. But if you pick up, you know, um, the New Yorker or what have mm -hmm. you, then they can see, oh, my parents care about this kind of thing. And look, I'm not trying to be snobbish about it. If you're if you're reading People magazine, you're still reading in front of your That's kids. right. That's right. But Bethann, here's the other part that I think parents or some parents might forget. And we've held some discussions in the store over the years. So there's sort of two notions here. One is we see parents come in the bookstore, sometimes with their kids, sometimes without, and they're very explicit that they don't want their child reading a book that has a sexual act in it. And then we find out that their kid is like 12. And, you know, I'm thinking, you got a 12-year-old? You don't control their whole planet. I mean, maybe there's a couple of parents that are controlling the whole planet. But the idea that a parent might think a 12-year-old hasn't been exposed to a sexual act. And what we try to educate parents about is having a child read a book with let's say, a sexual act or a provocative topic is an opportunity for you to both read the book together and then discuss it. And in other instances, they're off on their own. You have no idea what they're thinking or who they're talking to. And you can ground it in a kind of reality. But I mean, I guess we're not going to change all parents, but it is frightening that these laws are seeping into so many states. Are you optimistic or pessimistic that that genie will go back in the bottle? Well, after this last election, I'm a little bit optimistic. Mm -hmm. I'm a little optimistic that Virginia's Senate has, you know, shifted. Ohio's, you know, stance on reproductive rights really heartens me. And so I hope that we can come back to something that more resembles reason when we talk about these things. Mm -hmm. I just saw, I wish I could remember this. It was wonderful. It was basically a state, a county, a, a region where there had been people who were really pro-censorship and five Democrats knocked them out of their seats. Mm -hmm. And so they were all much more educated about the difficulty of censoring anything and not banning books. So I I have a bit of optimism and yeah, I hope that is something that plays out. Yeah. And, you know, we should remember 
that in some of these instances, it's a single parent, literally a single parent that can end up creating a banned book. But before we move on, I want to take our last few minutes to talk about your memoir. But for our listeners, I mean, I I love the episodes you had on consolidation in the industry, which I think is, you know, a very important topic. You've got a fun series of episodes on ghostwriting. So I think I'd encourage our listeners, Just the Right Book listeners, to you know, follow you on Twitter or X as Book Maven, and they can find missing pages wherever they find their podcast, you know, on Spotify yes. or Apple or Absolutely. wherever. So, uh, you know, I encourage everybody to listen to it. And we're both on the same platform. We're both on Podglomerate. We are. So we're like sisters. We are. We're podcast we're sisters. Podcast I think. sisters. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I really would like to take these last four or five minutes. Congratulations on your memoir, Life B, Overcoming Double Depression. I couldn't put it down. And what you managed to do is acquaint us both with the devastating impact of your mental illness, yet you had us rooting for you to learn how to transcend it. Not not an easy task, but I had never heard the term double depression. Share share with us what double depression is. Well, first, thank you so much, Roxanne. That really means a great deal to me to be honored by having such a reader get through my book and, and see what I was trying to do. Double depression is something that has been in the psychiatric community and discussion since the 1980s. Only since then. Only, only since, since then. then. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not sure if it's actually in the DSM-5. I think... It's, that, explain what the DMS-5 oh, is. Oh, sorry. The diagnosis, Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, which is used to classify mental illnesses and disorders. And so cycling depression is another thing that people use to describe this. It's I don't want to make too many mistakes, so let me just make sure I describe it in the way that I know my Mm -hmm. psychiatrist told me. It's basically when they find someone who has had chronic depression for quite a while, you know, that kind of depression that lasts for weeks and months, not days. So then that chronic depression is interrupted by periods of what we often call clinical depression or major depression. And if you have one or two episodes of clinical depression with this continued chronic depression, they start to say, hmm, what's going on? They try different medications. They try different treatments. If it continues to resist treatment, then they look at your family history. And what my psychiatrist told me is that when there is a first-degree family member, a parent, a sibling with bipolar syndrome, and you have a person with this treatment-resistant depression, often it is double depression or cycling Mm. depression. Now, I do know for sure, I know two other people who have been diagnosed with double depression. That is the term they use. And 
both of them have gone through different kinds of treatment than I have. I'm glad to say that they are both very stable and well, and I'm so delighted for that. But it is a very tough thing to diagnose, and it's a tough thing to explain. Basically, again, my psychiatrist said, you start low and you go lower. So there's Mm. no mania involved, which is, I mean, on one hand, I wouldn't want to go through a terrible episode of mania, but only having depression, that's tough too. Yeah. There's a, there's a joke in there that I won't, I won't, I won't make, but I want to, before I close and thank you, I really want to encourage everybody to pick up Life B. I mean, whether you're dealing with it directly with a spouse or a child or a sibling or want to understand what your friends are going through because I don't think you can get through the world today and not be bumping up against someone dealing with some aspect of mental health challenges. And I think you do such a nice job, Bethy. And even, you know, in the beginning where your husband's like saying to you, well, you don't really need to go to the hospital again, do you? And you go, yeah, you know what? I do. I do need to go to the hospital. So I think for those dealing with it, they'll find comfort. For those who are indirectly dealing with it, I think it's a way to develop a kind of empathy and understanding of what somebody's coping with. So, Bethann, I want to thank you for missing pages. You know, anything that's out there talking about books and reading to me is all doing God's work. So thank you for doing that. And Congratulations on all the success that it's had. And, you know, you and I will keep in touch. We have much in common. So I'm delighted to thank you for joining us on Just the Right Book. And thanks to all of you who are listening. You can follow us wherever you follow podcasts. Write to us at uh, podcast at rjjoya.com. Let us know that you like this, don't like this, want us to do that, or want, want us to do this. Thanks again to all of you listening. Thank you to Beth Ann Patrick for joining us. Thank you so much, Roxanne. Thank you, RJ Julia. You are listening to Just the Right Book with Roxanne Cody, brought to you by Lit Hub Radio, produced by Roxanne Cody and Michael Selleck. Our editor is Gino Cordone at PleasantPodcast.com. The original theme music is by Kurt Feldman. You can listen to us on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can email me any comments, suggestions, observations. We would love to hear from you. Email me at podcast at rjjulia.com. I do hope you will subscribe and follow us on Instagram at Just the Right Book Podcast. Thank you so much for listening.